This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Self-mastery, personal optimization are virtues celebrated by the Silicon Valley world and their executives. Many look back to a Greek philosophy, Stoicism. Engaging in cold showers, austere diets, and meditation are all tenets of this modern ancient expression. Our guest Donald Robertson looks at how the Roman history offers us lessons for the ethical and psychological challenges we face today. A new book makes the case that How We Think Like a Roman Emperor, the Stoic philosophy of Marcus Aurelius, examines this this Roman leader's success and why his reign lasted so long. Marcus kept personal journals, his meditations of getting through difficult situations. His practice of stoicism meant calmly accepting that some things were outside of one's own control and that this guided his battles against other military commanders. He believed in preparing for success or failure. Donald Robertson is the author of the book and is a cognitive behavioral psychotherapist. He's also a founding member of the nonprofit organization Modern Stoicism, and he joins us right now. Donald, welcome to the show. Thank you for your time today. Thanks for having me along, Ben. Pleased to be here. Thank you. I'll get to Marcus Aurelius in just a second, but in terms of today, how does Stoicism really play out in the business community, do you think? Oh, well, I mean, it's a strange thing. You know, I didn't anticipate this, but one of the biggest groups of people that are interested in it uh, seems to be millennials that work in the tech industry. So it's really taken root in Silicon Valley. And where I live in Toronto as well, I seem to meet a lot of young people that work in uh, software development or tech industry in general that are particularly drawn to this philosophy. So then tell us the story of Marcus Aurelius and how Stoicism became really his tenet uh, to living and to ruling uh, back in the days, back in his days of the Roman Empire. Well, Marcus Aurelius was one of the good Roman emperors, and he lived in the second century AD, and his reign was subject to many problems. It came after a peaceful period in history. And then as soon as he became emperor, uh, there was a war with the Parthians, and then the Roman Empire was invaded again by uh, barbarians from the north. There was a famine, uh, the river Tiber flooded. He had a plague called the Antonine Plague. Uh, it's thought to have killed as many as five million people. But he had a really hard time of it, and he had to really lean on this philosophy that he'd studied from uh, when he was a, a young man in order to cope with it. And we're blessed to have his kind of personal record of how he coped with adversity, the psychological techniques and strategies that he used derived from Stoic philosophy. Yeah, it is interesting that these meditations, as they are referred to, they hold quite a, a significant importance, uh, or did, to him. But obviously, they I read that they still hold an importance to people today when they read them. Oh, yeah, the meditations must be one of the most popular self-help or spiritual guides of all time. I mean, it's kind of a self-help book, but really it's a spiritual classic as well and a philosophical classic. So it's sort of, you could call it middlebrow or highbrow self-help, if you like. And it's always been a popular book. It's gone through a resurgence of popularity today. And in part, from my perspective as a cognitive therapist, that's because in the 1950s, with the cognitive revolution in psychotherapy, when we got cognitive behavioral therapy beginning to appear, it drew heavily on stoicism for inspiration as an alternative to Freud and all that kind of stuff. The new model of psychotherapy was influenced by stoicism. And that's filtered down through self-help and psychological literature in general now. 
So it, this is obviously part of the reason why he was able to rule for the length that he did and, and have the impact uh, that you just kind of alluded to uh, on the Roman Empire back in his day. Well, one of the historians, Cassius Dio, actually comments on that. He says that even though Marcus was a notoriously frail man and he had a number of health problems, he still managed to outlive a bunch of other people around him uh, in an incredibly tough time. People were dropping like flies because of the wars they were involved in and the plague. And Marcus nearly reached 60, which isn't exceptionally old, but it's, a, it's fairly good going for that particular period in Roman history. So he was tougher than he looked, you could say, and in part... We think that was because of the psychological strategies that he developed to cope with his emotions and to cope with the physical pain and illness that he had to endure. You know, in terms of the when you bring it forward to, to today's world, uh, it is interesting that one of the things that you talk about in the, in the book is this understanding that there are going to be times where there are going to be things beyond your control. And, and I think that's an incredibly important element to be able to have an understanding on, but also to be able to to be able to enact in your life and in your business life uh, today because of all that we have going on around us these days. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, some people think it's even more timely now because we're so bombarded with information. We're constantly being told about the bigger picture in the world and things going on in other countries that we have very little control over. And the Stoics realized a long time ago that the trick was learning to make a clear distinction in our mind between what's under our direct control and what isn't. And ultimately, the only thing that's really under our control um, is our own will, our own actions, if you like. The things that happen to us happen to us, but what we can really control are the ways that we respond to those things. So Stoicism wants us to take also greater responsibility, greater ownership for the things that we can actually do, both in terms of our thoughts and our actions in response to the in response to the, the situations that we face. But I can imagine that that if you're somebody that that doesn't maybe necessarily have a handle on that concept and, and that understanding, it can be a, an incredibly stressful element that you have to deal with to to not have an understanding that there are going to be times where whatever occurs around you, you can't do anything about it. Yeah, and, you know, probably most of the things in my my clinical practice, you know, I I worked with many people that suffered, uh, for example, from generalized anxiety disorder or GAD, which is something called the the pathological worry disorder. Although people exhibit worry in lots of different anxiety disorders and depression as well, GAD is where it really stands out. And most of the things people worry about, worry about tend to be things that are obviously outside their direct control, the distant future or things in politics and stuff like that, things that they can't really directly control. And they often, when they're doing that, neglect to do the things that they could be doing that are under their control. We're talking with Donald Robertson, who is the author of the book, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, the Stoic Philosophy of Marcus Aurelius. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio132 or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. What I, what I find interesting about the book, Donald, and how you put together is that obviously you're telling the story of Marcus Aurelius from, you know, uh, from hundreds of years ago. But as we mentioned, you're correlating it with, with today's world and some of the elements that people really need to consider, like... One of the elements you you talk about is how to speak wisely, and, and I think there is a a significant issue surrounding speech and, and how it is used in today's age. 
You know, I absolutely agree. I'm so glad that you mentioned that because it's one of the things that people often overlook about Stoicism and, and what it can teach us. You know, people use flowery, emotive language a lot of the time and they curse and they swear when they're faced with problems. If someone uh, is anxious in a meeting, they'll say, that guy shot me down in flames. Where they, they, they could just say, oh, he said something that you know they expressed disagreement with me. So when you say the same things, and this is very obvious when you're working with clients in therapy, uh, when you s- describe the same situation in more kind of value-free, sort of more objective, matter-of-fact terms, it often seems much less distressing. And we kind of unconsciously, unintentionally make ourselves even more worked up about things when we use rhetoric on ourselves in this way. And the Stoics were very aware of this problem. It, it almost seems like, and, and I would assume this is the case, that, that you believe that there are so many different elements around Stoicism that, that could improve our culture today. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, on many different levels. I mean, I, I've worked with so many people over the past 20 years or so that are into Stoicism. There's a growing community around it now. And I hear over and over again the same things. So people will say, well, it's like academic philosophy, but it's more practical. They'll say it's like Buddhism, but it's kind of a Western alternative to it. They'll say it's like Christianity, but it's more kind of secular and more rational and philosophical. So it seems to fill this gap in our culture at the moment of providing a philosophical, down-to-earth and rational way of life that can help people to find meaning, but also to become more emotionally resilient. And going off of speaking wisely, one of the other areas that you talk about in the book involves anger. And certainly that we have in various levels and various locations, it feels like at times more anger today than than we've ever had. Oh, there's anger everywhere. And the Stoics were particularly interested in it. It's the main emotion that bothers them. We have an entire book that survives today by Seneca called On Anger, about the Stoic therapy of anger. But it's also the main emotion that Marcus Aurelius is interested in dealing with. We know that he had problems with his own feelings of anger, at least as a young man, because he mentions that at the beginning of the book. So in a way, the meditations is partly a book about him learning to deal with his anger and become more empathic towards other people. And he describes so many techniques that would be relevant today mm-hmm. and are similar to modern therapy techniques today. At one point, he gives a list of 10 separate Stoic techniques that stand up today that can be used to help with anger. Are, are there times where Stoicism is misinterpreted as disinterest? Yeah, absolutely. You know, there are many common misconceptions. And in fact, it's in the language that we have oh. You know, the the English language has caricatures of many concepts in Greek philosophy. So what we mean by cynicism with a small c is very different from cynicism in the Greek philosophy with a capital C. The same goes for Epicureanism, skepticism, Mm -hmm. and also stoicism, lowercase stoicism with a small s is a coping style or a personality trait where we conceal or we repress emotions. And that's not what the ancient Stoics were talking about. They have a whole system of philosophy that's much more sophisticated psychologically than that. One of the other areas you talk about, and you mentioned with Marcus Aurelius, he obviously had uh, various bouts of illness. Uh, and obviously, to a degree, when you have the the numbers of issues that that he had over the course of time, you're talking about dealing with pain. So from that perspective, and obviously his military conflicts, I understand where the correlation is. How do you correlate the the issues around pain to today's society? In terms of people coping with pain today, you mean? 
there are many people today, or it seems like more and more people, because of our kind of sedentary lifestyle, I think, and also because people are living longer. You know, we have a lot of people now struggling to cope with chronic pain and discomfort. Back pain is kind of an epidemic almost. And the Stoics give us these strategies for learning to cope with pain. And the interesting thing is they're mainly acceptance-based strategies to Mm -hmm. cut to the chase. And there's a large growing body of research literature today that shows that a kind of emotional acceptance seems to be a a powerful strategy in cognitive therapy for coping with upsetting or unpleasant feelings, particularly as a way of coping with pain. If we want to suffer less, we we need to learn to embrace our pain and live with it without struggling against it as much. We're joined by Donald Robertson, who is the author of the book, How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, The Stoic Philosophy of Marcus Aurelius. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. If you're not able to get to your phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio, B-I-Z Radio 132, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney, L-O-N-E-Y 21. Uh, I mentioned at the top, Donald, that, that you are one of the founding members of the organization Modern Stoicism. How how has that organization and and this belief in the history of Marcus Aurelius and his belief in Stoicism, how has that impacted you and the other members of the organization moving forward? In terms of our personal life, you mean, um, I it's helped me to cope with a lot of things. You know, even from, I suppose, relatively trivial things like the last time I went to the dentist, I'm sure I was using stoic pain management techniques. It becomes a kind of habitual thing. Um, and coping with some of the stress that therapists have when they're dealing with clients who sometimes describe very traumatic problems and you know the, the stress of working with other people that have their, their, their difficulties and stresses or are, are, are at risk, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And, and also, you know, major life events. Like I immigrated to Canada a few years ago, and that was a, a big upheaval for me. As for many people, a life-changing event like that it can require a lot to deal with. So learning to think about things like historic has helped me to negotiate all of these things in life. How, how has also, and you, one of the other areas you talk about is desire uh, and, and conquering desire. How did that play out with Marcus Aurelius back in the day? And then how also do you see it as, as an impact on business culture today? Well, Marcus Aurelius, like all of the Stoics, was he he was quite cautious about the danger implicit in certain pleasant feelings or positive feelings or feelings of happiness. And the Greeks in general were quite conscious of this. If we get too carried away enjoying certain things, sometimes we make bad decisions. So we need to retain our senses. You know, we need to not just lose it when we're having too much of a good time. So sometimes we can act irrationally when we're happy. And so Marcus wanted to cherish life and enjoy a kind of an experience of joy and fulfillment from it, but in a healthy way. That's really what he's talking about. So he would think about the consequences of his desires. The key for the Stoics is thinking about the longer term consequences of acting on certain desires and asking ourselves whether they're really reasonable and balanced and whether they're in our long-term interests or not, or if they're perhaps harmful to indulge in too much. But in terms of modern society, you know, I suppose probably the modern kind of cliche thing that people talk to me all the time about is their habitual use of the internet, right, and social media in particular. Yeah, because... because, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, that's just something that comes up a lot, you know, and it's often Facebook, or I guess increasingly with millennials, it's it's sort of Instagram's a, a bigger thing. 
And, uh, you know, some people are just like checking it constantly and stuff. And so learning to take a step back from our feelings rather than act on them is integral to stoicism, kind of almost an observer perspective. And then thinking about the bigger picture and evaluating whether what we're doing is healthy or not. So learning to put limits on things that we might feel like doing, but maybe aren't working out well for us in the long run. But many of these are elements, and, and as you lay them out, uh, these are unbelievable goals to be able to reach. But again, going back to something we said before, the culture and the society that we live in and the speed at which we are living, and obviously, as you mentioned, the, the data and the digital technology that we have, these are the challenges that are presented right in front of us, you know, preventing us at times, I would think, from from kind of following the path of Marcus Aurelius and the Stoicism. Oh, yeah, they're kind of designed to brainwash us in a way, right? I mean, like, you know, there's definitely a sense in which social media and advertising in general is by its very nature designed to kind of suck us in and manipulate us a bit. So it takes an effort to resist that. But it was the same in a different way in the ancient world. There were professional public speakers or orators that spent their life studying rhetoric in order to manipulate audiences and play on their emotions. So we have something like that today, but in a different, maybe a more intrusive form. It's in our living rooms now. But I think the Stoics definitely can teach us ways of coping with that. And it does require a little bit of self-discipline to live like a Stoic, but they will teach us strategies that will help us to kind of step back. And one of them is that every evening the Stoics would take time, you know, five or ten minutes in the evening, just to kind of review how they got on through the day and, and whether they kind of got sucked into things or whether they were able to take a step back. And these kind of practices of kind of observing ourselves more carefully and evaluating our behavior on a regular basis, although they take discipline, can make a big difference. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 132, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Dan Loney in our studios in Philadelphia, joined on the phone by Donald Robertson, author of the book How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, The Stoic Philosophy of Marcus Aurelius. Uh, I, I look at where we are today with this, and, and, and obviously we're in a culture that, as we mentioned a second ago, we are, we are moving at light speed in, in so many instances I would think it would do very well by a lot of members of the business community and, and maybe a lot of members of, of the C-suite of, of larger companies be able to take take a step back, even with the pace, even with the expectations that a board of directors may have or stockholders may have, uh, that that you need to take a moment and take a breath and, and be able to, you know, to be able to understand things better. Yeah, I mean, the Stoics said they had this practice that they call prosoche in Greek, which kind of uh, means paying attention to yourself. It's actually the word that's used on warning signs in Greece today. It kind of means watch out or pay attention. And it, we call it Stoic mindfulness because it's like a similar idea. And the Stoic teachers, I think it was Masonius Rufus, who said that if for a moment you stop paying attention and you allow yourself to get swept along by worry or rumination, then in a sense you've kind of lost your mind temporarily and it can be hard to pull yourself back from that. So we need to learn to practice this discipline of mindfulness throughout the day. How do you think then then we as a culture can can move forward and 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 use mindfulness and use stoicism as as a benefit to to move forward especially when you're talking about the different you know the different cultures that we have and and the different generations that we have uh, having an impact here in the 
let's just say, in the United States right at the outset. Obviously, we have the baby boomer generation that's moving more towards retirement. But millennials are taking, obviously, a much more important role in uh, in our culture and in business. And then you'll have Gen Z behind them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, you know, people just learning that stoicism is out there is actually a big deal. Because like I say, you know, I, I feel like people culturally are looking for something to fill this void that in a sense is left by Christianity. And that Buddhism kind of filled in a way, as did other Eastern religions, but not to everybody's satisfaction. You know, some people want something that's more familiar to kind of European culture and values. And that seems to be what they tell us they're getting from stoicism. So they want a big philosophy. They want something bigger than cognitive therapy. That's just a bunch of techniques, right? It's not a way of life. Whereas stoicism is something that people get uh, tattooed on their bodies. Like right. It's something they identify with at a deeper, kind of more spiritual level, almost like a substitute for religion. And I, I think, you know, that's kind of what people really need is something to kind of, you know, identify with at a bigger and deeper level. Uh, they need a whole way of life that's going to help protect them against the effects of advertising and social media and celebrity culture and all of these kind of toxic influences we have around us. And that also plays into the, the last piece that I want to touch on that you talk about in the book in terms of following your values. Uh, and, and certainly that's a personal choice for many people, but it is one at times that is impacted by a lot of those outside factors as well. Yeah, Dan, that's a great thing to talk about, actually, because it's a, a really a resurgent idea in modern psychotherapy as well, particularly in the evidence-based treatment of clinical depression, which is an epidemic as well at the moment. And one of the things that we find is that people who are increasingly kind of driven by their feelings, so they're usually doing things like using social media, partly, they tell us, to avoid unpleasant feelings that they're experiencing. They're, people today are constantly trying to distract themselves to kind of numb themselves from unpleasant emotions that they're feeling. Whereas in the past, or perhaps in an ideal world, you know, people would be doing things that are more fulfilling, that are more consistent with their core values in life, that are more aligned with their, their true self, if you like. And therapists today kind of have figured that out and increasingly encouraging clients to identify their true inner values and do things that serve those more fully. And really the big problem there is that most people don't know what those values are. Sure. And so it takes an effort for them to get clearer about what they want, you know, to be remembered for after they're gone, what they want their life to represent, rather than just kind of falling in with the herd and what everyone else is doing and what the media sort of brainwashes them into thinking their life should be about. Donald, it's been a pleasure talking to you. This is a, a fantastic book, and it's a it's a great way to correlate history into today's society. Uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. No problem. Thanks for having me, Dan. It was a pleasure speaking to you. Thank you, Donald. How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, the Stoic Philosophy of Marcus Aurelius. Donald Robertson, the author of the book, uh, joining us on the show. Book, by the way, available in bookstores and online for your purchase right now. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 